0: You're listening to Girovagando, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we're in Balaton Furet. <speaking in Spanish>
1: Daniel, it's very considerate of them to turn on some sort of twinkly lounge music here at the Hofbrau München Bar.
2: Hofbräu. Hofbräu. Do you know why I have to correct you on this? Go for it. Because a couple of weeks ago, I delivered the final pages of a book I've been working on for years, and in the very last version of Proofs, I saw one mistake, and it was Hofbräu, and it was a Hofbräu house in Berlin it was referring to it and it was spelt wrong and I corrected. I managed to sneak in that correction at the last minute. So it's
1: pronounced Hofbräu.
2: Yeah. Okay
1: it's a German bar you of course live in Berlin I've got a German Weiss beer Hofbräu. you've got a glass of, of, Riesling, of Riesling. Riesling. Riesling yeah and we are in Heviz, which is it's on the lake.
2: Feels like it's so easy to pronounce it feels like a trick doesn't it Heviz. <laughs> it's the only place name in in apart from Budapest in Hungary that is in any way Pronounceable.
1: absolutely and well let's paint the scene it's gone quite chilly this evening hasn't it this is a sort of modern development almost like a sort of out of town shopping center feel but some quite nice bars around here
2: modern is not a word we would have used very often today because we did a bit of a tour of one side of the lake anyway and um well not to be disrespectful or not to say that it wasn't lovely because it was but at times it does feel a Bit like stepping back in time this felt like the real hungary today didn't it These sort of a lot of faded signs um, a lot of sort of holiday resorts that maybe s- felt as though they'd seen slightly more halcyon days anyway and we heard earlier well i got a lift to the start um, this morning with a hungarian we met in the last few days a bike shop cafe owner and well he told me a lot about how this this side of the lake in particular i think it did have a real glory period in the in the 90s in particular it was beloved to to germans and um, prior to that a lot of east germans used to come here on holiday this is one of the few places where they could meet their west german relatives but that that was the the sort of golden age of uh, of well certain parts of Lake Balaton anyway.
1: Well that was before the Berlin Wall fell, of course. And yeah, I think there was a kind of Soviet era holiday feel to the little towns along the lake, Lake Balaton, which I think is the twenty third biggest lake in Europe. One Off bigger top of your head. than Lake Laman. <laughs> Well, off the top of my head, yes, that's right. We'll hear a lot more about this in tomorrow's episode of Kilometre Zero. We won't spoiler that any further, but we have seen team buses arriving here. I think Alpes and Fenix are staying up there. Certainly seen Team DSM's bus arrive, Quick Steps bus arrived, James Knox must have just pressed stop on recording his audio diary because that's just come in. We'll hear from him a little bit later on in the episode. Quick step rider, reason to celebrate today because Mark Cavendish won stage three of the Giro d'Italia, the final one in Hungary. And I guess this is the tale of the tapper. Stage three from Kaposvar to Balaton Fured, round the lake, 201 kilometers. And well, it was a bit of a groundhog day for the start, wasn't it, almost, because the two drones that Gianni Savio sent up on stage one were at it again, Mattia Baez and Filippo Tagliani of Hopper. I was and hoping
2: that Tagliani might stay away purely because I learned the other day, he, he first rode and raced the bike Um, for a team that was run out of the restaurant owned by his grandparents, which was called the Trattoria della Trotta, the the restaurant of the trout. And we saw a lot of... Fish fish restaurant? Fish, fishing things today, didn't we? Um, Balaton is famous for... It's fishing one of the many things it's famous for and we got a taxi today didn't we mm. um, and there was, in, there was a lot of fishing equipment in the boot and there was also well our taxi driver obviously fancied himself as a bit of an angler he had a, a hat perched on the perch no pun intended um, on the front dashboard, and what did he say on the? Ca- well, on the I think
1: angler/slash sailor, because the, the hat said Capitan, and as we said farewell to him, you said thank you very much, Capitan, and I think he liked that.
2: I think he enjoyed
1: uh, that. I mean, he he drove like uh, like it was a speedboat. He was in charge <laughs> of a couple of, those, <laughs> couple of those overtaking manoeuvres on narrow Hungarian roads. I had my eyes closed for that. Anyway, the two drone hopper riders were joined by Samuele Rivi of Iolo Colmeta, uh, a sort of homeish rider, because Colmetto is a Hungarian company, yes, co-sponsoring you know the team. I Sugar don't actually. Beets.
2: Sugar beets.
1: Oh, ah, okay. Well, that's one of the big crops here, I guess. Yeah.
2: Yes, and I learned today they have an Italian. That company has an Italian owner who's lived in the start town today for 28 years
1: Wow, well Taliani certainly wasn't likely to stay away because he was the first man dropped to around 40 kilometres to go, Baiss and Rivi were caught with around 28 kilometres to go and then it was fairly formulaic running, there was a the Tihani climb quite close to the finish and that's where two riders, Rick Zabel who was wearing the blue King of the Mountains jersey and i explain why in a moment and Pascal Inkhorn of Jumbo Visma, they went away to uh, go for the point. Zabel was wearing the blue jersey even though Matthew van der Poel uh, was the actual owner of that blue King of the Mountains jersey but Zabel was the quickest rider on the climb in the time trial yesterday so that's where he scored his points Inkhorn went over the top first and he persisted with his move He was then caught with around six kilometres to go. Zabel has done enough to take that blue jersey by rights. He's actually tied on points with Inkhorn, but he gets it on count back for the time being. And then came a a kind of a, a, a sort of controlled chaos sprint i thought it was alperson had it together groupama had it together but then in the final 1200 meters quick step alpha alpha vinyl got to the front went through their lead out drill and it was mark cavendish who hit the front i thought quite early but he was strong and held on to beat arno damar of groupama fernando gaviria of uae binyam Gamai of Antamarche, and then came Marechko, Turns Consoni and Caleb Ewan, who, of course, crashed on stage one. Matthew van der Poel was 17th, so there's no change to the top 70 on GC. Vanderpool still 11 seconds ahead of Simon Yates. He also also has the Ciclamino jersey as points leader, but Germay will wear that again. Cavendish is up to third in the points competition, and as I said, Zabor will be in blue again tomorrow. So there we are. Mark Cavendish hasn't ridden the Giro since 2013. But he has won a stage again, just as he has in every Giro d'Italia he has ridden. That was number 16. He's the third oldest Giro stage winner of all time. Do you know who the other oh, two no, older I don't riders know, are? No, not off the top of my head, no. Paolo Tirolongo was 37. Alessandro Petacchi was 37 when he won his final stage. And Cavendish will be 37 at the end of next was week. Was
2: you that was telling me that Petacchi? I who's our friend Brian Nygaard who will join us later in the Giro, was telling us that on Italian TV yesterday, Pataki had a big rant about facial hair. Uh, I must catch up on this because it sounds very entertaining. It sounds quite uncharacteristic as well because Pataki is quite a diplomatic chap, generally. Do you want a fun, fun fact about Cavendish and his victory today? Well couple of facts today I think was the t- I make it that today was the 20th different country that Cavendish has won in as a professional his first ever Giro stage win was in a place called Catanzaro in stage 4 2008 and I think that that was where you first touched down in Italy on a Giro d'Italia in 2016 Catanzaro at the start was in Catanzaro in on the first stage in Italy in 2016
1: do you know that is where our dear friend Richard Moore had his first brush with a flowerpot in the Maserati car that we had loaned to us that Giro I mean it was extraordinary driving around Italy in a Maserati in the first place but Richard managed to bump it into several flower pots. the first of which was in Catanzaro the following morning he did a very impressive 17 point turn to get us out of a really tight spot uh, when we were trying to cut through to get to the start fond memories of Catanzaro just to wrap up the tale of the tapper the Giro lost its first rider today Jan Tratnik didn't finish he crashed quite hard on stage one and has injured his wrist I mean you know you've got a lot in common there Daniel but you're soldiering on I think Tratnik's injuries are more significant and then just a nod to Clement Davy of Group Armour he's the black jersey I mean the the award isn't given anymore for last rider on GC but he did a lot of work on the front today came in four and a half minutes down on his own today and I think it's already 13 minutes behind overall but that's because he's doing a lot of work for his team.
0: Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by SuperSapiens.
1: The Cycling Podcast is sponsored by Super Sapiens, and as I've been saying, I've been monitoring my glucose levels as I get into the Giro. This is actually day five of our Giro stint, or my Giro stint. I'm doing the first couple of weeks of the race. So I'm into a bit of a rhythm now, and I'm noticing some fairly consistent uh, values after I've eaten breakfast, lunch, and dinner and uh well today we're i had gonna, a little bit we're dip.
2: gonna do some experiments in the next few days on you <laughs> we're gonna put you in the lab i want to get i want to see what uh, a canola some cannoli do to your glucose levels that could be that could be quite spectacular
1: extremely sugary and sweet maybe yes. i should go running skip proper breakfast and start the day with a cannoli and see what happens to me but i did actually have a dip on the train as i fell asleep I, i'm struggled to stay awake on trains anyway and as we had a couple of hours on the train today i did nod off and uh, yeah my glucose levels had settled into the um into the nice blue zone which okay. just you know just means i'm kind of resting recovering really ready for peak performance which is now when you I look at the
2: graph, is it like a is it sort of a flat transitional stage, or are we talking medium mountains? Well, because in Sicily you're going to be in the high mountains. I think
1: Sicily might be high mountains because you know I get very nervous about the about the uh, mafia, don't I? But we shall see, won't we? That will be uh, the subject of the experiment. Go to supersapiens.com dot com if you want to find out how Super Sapiens can help you train and perform. Uh, to the optimum level by fueling more effectively and learn how your body reacts to different types of food what you eat and when you eat
2: and we'll hear from some experts
1: i'm not just wearing the super sapien sensor for a laugh i am uh, gathering some data so that i can optimize mainly
2: to attract attention to your huge bicep
1: (laughs) (laughs) no i'm going to try and optimize my training between the giro and the tour de france
2: yeah, here we brought actually uh, almost every lead-out man we could
3: for Cav, um, so we have Leerberg and we have uh, Ballerini and also we're going to use a very uh, strong uh, Marius Schmidt, so we have uh, we have a very good teams to support Cav in the end of this, today's stage. I think today will be uh, Van Leerberg in front of me and we use uh, Ballerini to keep us in front uh, on the last case.
2: Well Lionel, is Michael Walker the new Gianni Savio? Similar levels of clairvoyance, Predict predicted perfectly this morning exactly what was going to happen gave us the batting order the quick step alpha vinyl batting order that was significant and insightful this morning because in theory quick step alpha vinyl had two riders well they probably had three riders who were more than capable of being very adept lead out men in morcu van leerberger and ballerini all really really strong riders but the the order was respected and it was morcu who sort of he swept back the the magician's silk, didn't he? And and off Cavendish went. Well, that first Giro stage win since 2013, and
1: Quickstep's first Euro stage win, I think, since 2018. Do you remember who took it? It
2: was uh, Max, Max Schachmann. Schachmann. Of course, a it who's was. Man, he's probably familiar with the Hofpoi House in Berlin.
1: Indeed. Yeah. Well. Yeah. He'd enjoy a vice beer, wouldn't he? Just on Morkov, Mercu and Gianni Savio. I mean, until he rides a Grand Tour stage in a pinstripe suit paired with a nice pair of trainers, then, I mean, he's got nothing on Savio. The outfit is extraordinary and he's sticking with it, isn't he, Gianni? Well into his 70s now.
2: He is. Will Mark Cavendish still be winning jury stages in his 70s? I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule it out. He's clearly going incredibly well. He started the season pretty well. Um, you know, there were, there were doubts after races like the UAE Tour. Um, but the, the subtext, the sort of unwritten, unspoken subtext to him struggling at times early in the season was that he hadn't been given the the best lead-out train, it was very much the B, the C string. I mean, he made a joke about this in his in his latest book, that last year, he certainly started last year in a similar vein, in the sense that he was going to smaller races and he wasn't being given the, the, the best lead-out t- team that Quickstep had available. In fact, there was this running joke at Quickstep last year at the Tour of Turkey, um, that they were the B team and, and the riders there even got it, they got it sort of embroidered on on these personalised Nikes that they then wore for the rest of the season. And kind of ironically, Morcu didn't like this, he said that Cavendish was belittling the other riders on the team and that he should stop making this joke, at which point Cavendish sort of turned to him and said, look, it's our private joke, you know, it's got nothing to do with you, we all find it funny, so um, we'll continue with it. The
1: trainers go well with a pinstripe <laughs> so suit, probably that's the big question. Would, you <laughs> can
2: ask Mark. Cavendish that tomorrow. <laughs> There's no doubt that here they have got a, a brilliant lead-out tra- trainer and you see the difference. If you go back and look at Cavendish at the UAE tour when, you know, it perhaps was a struggle to position himself. Van Lerberg is, is excellent and, I mean, Cavendish, I know a few weeks ago, he thought that he would have the choice or there would be the choice between Morku and Van Lerberg to be his lead-out man. He was probably only going to get one of the two here and um, he was quite happy with either... Um, Morca was slightly more experienced, um, probably slightly more confident, I think, still. Van Lureberger is is inexperienced compared to Morku as a a lead out man but both incredibly powerful and strong and Ballerini as well has done a fantastic job at various times when he's been uh, in that lead out train. The other rider that wasn't quite as significant today was Mauro Schmidt who's a young Swiss rider that they've taken from the Quebeca team, won a stage of the Giro last year and he he should have been the the sort of fourth man today to pilot them really into those last couple of kilometres. That was the only place today where things didn't quite go as they expected otherwise it was absolutely textbook and textbook as well well it was about a 300 meter sprint wasn't it i think it was slightly downhill mm. but it was in a really long way out for cavendish to go for him to hold off the sprinters that he did demar and and gaviria and others i mean it that really speaks to the excellent form that cavendish has, is taking into this Giro and that he's sort of honed and refined over the last few weeks on this training camp he did, similar to last year, again mirroring last year, he went to Greece to work with his coach for um, a week or 10 days, largely on the track actually, and um, well he, he looks to be in the kind of form, in a similar kind of form to to what he was in last late last spring and, and sort of going into the Tour de France.
1: Yeah, I mean when you look at his year, it's been kind of, not overshadowed, but it, this this uh, question of who gets to go to the Tour de France for Quick-Step as a sprinter, Fabio Jacobson or Mark Cavendish, I mean, it's unfortunately for Cavendish and Jakobsen, it's the logical question that fans will want to know the answer to, journalists will ask, and I'm sure it gets quite tiresome for the riders. Um, Especially when they're supposed to be teammates. I mean, Jakobsen is going to be riding the Tour de Hungary, which starts in a few days' time. Obviously, a smaller race. While Cavendish is here at the Giro d'Italia, the second biggest stage race in the world. All Cavendish can do is keep delivering, do the uh, sprint finishes that he gets the opportunity to do. He's already won Milano-Torino this year. See what happens between now and the start of the Tour de France, because Patrick Lefebvre and the Quick Step sports directors certainly won't they won't be worried about having a selection dilemma to make in the end of June. They will want to keep their best options open until right up to the Tour de France. And as we said in our preview, given how kind of unfriendly to the sprinters the last, not just the last week, but the last kind of nine, almost 10 days of the Giro are, Cavendish could go up to Reggio Emilia, the last real sprint opportunity or the the day after that, um, whichever is the last sprint stage of this first half of the race, call it a day there and not have to go you know incredibly deep it's not the same doing 11 or 12 days compared to doing 21 days so we'll have to see how that all pans out over the next few weeks
2: and what today certainly underlined is that a couple of months short or a few no in fact it's only a couple of weeks short isn't it of here's help me out here 37th birthday, I mean, there's still plenty of mileage left in, in Cavendish in his career. I mean, even when he was winning those tour stages last year, probably, I wouldn't say it seemed inconceivable to a lot of people, but m- most people would have predicted that he might do one more year. And even when there seemed to be issues with finding an agreement with Patrick Lefebvre for the, the well, this year's contract, um, there seemed to be a sort of unspoken understanding that this would be his last year. From what I can understand, having spoken to him a couple of times this spring, um, he's looking further ahead now. This is not going to be his last year. And there will be team managers who I think will see a, a great opportunity. And if Lefebvre isn't minded to keep him, then I, I think there will there'll certainly be more suitors than there were a couple of years ago.
1: 160 professional wins for Mark Cavendish as well. Now, I mean, there is a little bit of this debate about whether the very first one, the Course Cycliste de Solidarnosc, back in 2006, really counts. I think uh, at the time it was ranked 2.1, so I guess I guess it does. I mean, I, I suppose his first real pro win was skelder Price. In April 2007, but you mentioned how far out he went from today. That was Cavendish in his sort of 2009, 10, 11 pomp, wasn't it? He used to go incredibly early, get in front, not just by a bike length or two, but sometimes, you know, I mean, there's so much daylight between him and the rest. And he, I mean, he didn't even need any power to hold on because the gap was already open. He did need to hold on a bit today, but nevertheless. 250, 300 meters from the line. That's a long sprint uh, in road sprinting terms, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and I think what's also remarkable, like Cavendish, is that we've spent so much time in the last couple of years talking about how certain riders have just, you know, felt as though they've been surpassed, kind of um, consigned almost to to history, simply by the the improving, the ever improving level in the pro peloton. We've heard riders say, "Well, I'm doing my best numbers ever," but the sport has simply moved on. We've talked about GC riders in those terms in the last couple of weeks, you know, the likes of Tom Dumoulin and Vincenzo Nibali. If you speak to them, they say, well, numbers are great, but it's just a different sport now. And when you think the Cavendish has been winning Grand Tour stages for 15 years now, that is quite remarkable.
1: Well, it is, especially when you look at the context of, I mean, he hasn't ridden the Welter since 2011, it hasn't ridden the Giro since 2013 nine years ago since he was last at this race. Obviously, you know, those years, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, he was, uh, his stature was such that he didn't need to go to the Giro or the Vuelta, did he? The Tour de France was enough, especially as he was approaching his 30s and and passing thirty. Then of course the the wilderness years, I guess we'll have to call it. You know, if you're we're a musician, we've all had wilderness years. We've all like had it. wilderness years, but some, you know, some, some of the, the some is more than others. Some of the experimental <laughs> albums in uh, those years between 2019 and, and sort of 2021 were were uh, well, they were unconventional, weren't they? And then of course the comeback last year, and I suppose this really confirms um, that Mark Cavendish is well, it, I mean, the the greatest sprinter of all time. I know I always say it, but. Um, it, you know it, it's extraordinary what he's, the goat. What he's pulling about
2: out about Goat. about um, goats this is you've given me a, um, a segue that you're going to regret there there's this legend about goats nails and Lake Balaton were you aware of this I no oh, idea I'm just going to read this. it out because I cannot make head nor tail of it There are numerous legends about the goat's nails. These goat's nails, I can't figure out whether they are actually nails. I think it's a kind of stone that's found at the bottom of Lake Balaton that washes up on the shore. The legend tells the story of a princess with golden-haired goats and the son of the king of the lake, who was pining for her until he died of heartbreak. The king, in revenge for the loss of his son, put a curse on the girl, driving the herd into Lake Balaton, which has been washing up goat's nails ever since. Wow. I mean, I've set you up there. I'm going to take, that's going to take me the whole rest day to even begin to, to start understanding that.
1: Indeed. Well, sticking with Quick Step Alpha Vinyl, shall we hear from our audio diarist, James Knox, who admittedly well by his own admission is not part of the Mark Cavendish lead-out train He's much more for the hilly and mountainous stages and of course He's had a difficult first part of the year So it'll be interesting to see how he holds up as the race gets more difficult in the coming days But he sent us his dispatch from the quick-step team bus Well, as they were heading here to have
4: now then on the back of the bus taking a moment first sprint day first win for Cav doesn't really get much better does it seen the sprint a few times now heard all the stories from the boys i've only seen carvers across the line quick hug he's gone off and you know done all the podium and everything but pretty textbook day in the end there wasn't a particularly hard day to control just the three guys up front not particularly hard pace it was pretty in the wheel easy in the wheels yeah didn't have to stress or worry about being in the position of being in front or anything and then in the last like 50k became a bit of a fight. Always now GC teams fighting at the start, and then yeah the sprint teams trying to wait and be there at the right moment. As the yeah you know the GC teams know they're safe. Seems to be the way it's going. I, I wasn't really there and probably for the right reasons because I wouldn't have had the firepower in the last few k's where it's important anyway. Even if I'd been in with the boys, um, but the four of them stayed together for a long time there. I think I almost last 30 40k. Um, Kav, Markov, Van Leerberger, Ballerini were always together, waiting, waiting. Sounds like they were pretty boxed in until only a couple of k to go before that important roundabout at K to go. So finally got an opening, got to the front, didn't see the sprint, didn't see anything to be honest, only uh, after the race. Kav got delivered. I think he launched quite early, maybe even 300 meters to go, but had the speed, had the power, told everyone off. So textbook win on his behalf and a textbook lead out, really. So yeah, everyone's buzzing. I think that's 53 Grand Tour stage wins. Pretty proud, proud to just be a part of one, to be honest. Um, rooming with Cav here, so yeah, I'll, I'll be a uh, pleasure to be, you know, been in the room with him now, but also, you know, started watching the sport 15 years ago, or taking an interest with it, with my my brother and my dad. And Cav was the British star that exploded onto the scene, to be honest, you know? Winning stages in the Tour, and uh, yeah, I think as a as a young kid, always cheering him on always wanting him to win so it feels uh pretty special to be here now in his team winning alongside him so be able to enjoy this and it takes the pressure off now i think from from where i'm standing obviously i didn't play much of a part in today's win but when you see how everyone operated in the legs at Kavas, you'd be expecting more to come so let's see yeah let's see if we can uh, go and get more wins certainly looks like he has the legs Conf- confidence pressure's off now so that's a perfect start in it that's just exactly what we needed. We can enjoy tonight. Weird little rest day tomorrow, getting a char flight over to Sicilia. Other notable points, really loved my uh, three days in Hungary. I think today was actually the most enjoyable of all three. Crowds were brilliant all day. I know it wasn't maybe much to see from at home, but on the bike all day, there was thousands and thousands of people. Lots of uh, interesting celebrations or you know different things going on people getting pulled by uh, quad bikes on a random little car boxes by the side of the road loads of people wearing pinks loads of pink flares hot air balloons without the balloons just jets of fire up in the next to the road and all this sort of all this sort of business so yeah it's been a brilliant start in Hungary and enjoyed it a lot to be honest it's been yeah really nice had a nice chat with uh, Attila Valter for a bit today in the back had to learn a bit of Magyar history about the Hungarian people, about Hungary, about thermal springs around Lake Balaton and all this and all that. So yeah, almost sad to be leaving. To be honest, even though it's uh, the Giro d'Italia belongs in Italy, so I think it's been a great success. Yeah, thoroughly
5: really enjoyed it. Chute, uh, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast team car at the back of the
0: pack, please.
1: That's Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by MAP, who are our new clothing partners, and Daniel, you were wearing your MAP t-shirt today, black with the MAP logo emblazoned across the chest, very smart-looking t-shirt, it is too monochromatic, and kind of almost at odds with the... Um, the the bold designs of the actual cycling kit, but the casual clothing's lovely to wear as well. And in a couple of days' time in Sicily, I will be meeting up with Jared and Ollie, who founded Map
2: back in 2014 that's in Melbourne. That's why I haven't sent you into a sugar coma with all the cannoli. I'm with all, <laughs> I'm all the cannoli, with.
1: With the espresso, the cannoli, and uh, well, Map was established in 2014. So incredibly, it's a company that's younger even than the cycling podcast they were created in Melbourne in Australia which is a city that's obsessed with design and the arts, cycling of course and of course well, dare we say it, coffee. I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to invoke the coffee police here, Daniel. But Jared Smith and Oliver Cousins came from very different disciplines, really. They've combined their respective expertise in fashion and technical apparel design and graphic design to very good effect with MAP's range of clothing. I've been lucky enough to wear a lot of the cycling kit in recent weeks, and I'll be talking about that Uh, in subsequent episodes as we go through the Giro. Meeting up with Ollie and Jared in uh, Catania, I think it will be, in a few days' time. I'm really looking forward to that. And talking to them about what kind of inspires them, but also what they will take away from their trip to the Giro d'Italia and being in Italy or in Sicily and seeing the race in the flesh and how they can turn that into the map designs of, you know, 2024, 2025, because you know these companies have always got a lot an eye on the future, haven't they? And speaking of the future, we of course have a collaboration with Map coming up. We'll be unveiling that during the Tour de France. It won't take a genius to work out that it's a cycling jersey. We're very excited about unveiling the designs, and uh, well, especially so, um, given uh, you know just how much of a driving force in our relationship with Map Richard Moore was. So. Check out MAP at MAP.cc, it's M-A-A-P dot Have a look at all of their jerseys. Yeah, you'll hear a bit more about MAP in the coming days. Now Daniel, as we walked across here, you almost trod on a dog. There is a dog that listeners will have heard barking because it's, it barks at people who walk past, but it looks like a giant mop that's, that's just like been left on the floor, doesn't it?
2: Canine Bob Marley. <laughs>
1: It does look like K9 Bob Marley. It's obviously a bit tired. Maybe it's, I don't know what its blood glucose levels are doing. It needs to go on the Super Sapiens uh, sensors and see because it looks a bit weary. Well, Daniel, what about the other sprinters? Because Arno Demar was second today. He won four stages in the Lockdown Giro in 2020, won one in 2019. So he's got a good pedigree at this race. And Groupama, they did everything they could to get him into position to win, they but they perhaps got everything lined up just a little bit too early. Quick step. Yeah, Demar said. Demar right.
2: said at the finish, that the timing was slightly off, and he's actually been relatively critical. He's be, he's a very affable fellow, and he's very magnanimous about his teammates when things go well. And he certainly was in 2020 when he won four stages. But he has. Mentioned a couple of times earlier this year that the train has not really been up to snuff, and it's a train that's been working together for quite a long time now. But is it a little bit long in the tooth? I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, there are some riders there, certainly edging well, they're very much in their mid 30s. But he looked fast today, he wasn't in the perfect position. There was a contrast between the quick step alpha vinyl train and the Group armor FDJ train, which came together well. Demar really slotted into position behind Guarnieri, his lead-out man. Well, he, he was only there for a split second before he then moved on to Cavendish's wheel. But that it was all very late, and they weren't in the right position um, with a kilometre to go. Cavendish spoke at the finish, and other quickset riders spoke about the importance of this roundabout with about a kilometre to go, and they wanted and they were desperate to take. Um, that roundabout in first position at the front of the bunch, and they did. And Group Armour were not in the right position there, and I think it cost DeMar. But he'll have other opportunities. Just talking about Guarnieri, uh, Lionel, he had a terrible, terrible end to 2021. He was out of the time limit in the tour, and he finished outside the time limit in the Vuelta as well, and had a real sort of crisis of confidence. I spoke to him this morning about how he's. He's gone about trying to rebuild that confidence and about his prospects for this Giro d'Italia. Jacopo, I remember hearing from other members of the team in the spring when the lead-out train wasn't going as well or uh, Arno wasn't going as well that you needed to make some adjustments or you know well you needed to improve. That's what he said. What what have you done? What have you changed? And, and how have you tried to improve over the last few weeks and months? What have you worked on? First of all, like. We try to be healthy Uh, as
3: many guys in the peloton we were affected by covid or there was this uh, lung infection which was uh, spread uh, in parinis and tyreno as well so we had some uh, yeah health issues in the beginning some guys also during january and february with covid so wasn't what we were expecting of course because we were looking for some victories in the beginning of the season didn't turn out but uh, you know sometimes you, you basically don't have anything, you're empty, empty-ended. empty In the beginning, and then you win in the Giro, so everybody forgot what happened before. So that's what we were looking for in here. For sure, we, we had the month pretty pretty good. Uh, nobody has uh, any issue We training. Not together, because everybody did something different, like Arnaud and, uh, Sink and them, they were in altitude. Konovalova was as well but uh, in Sierra with the family uh, Miles he was in uh, in Andorra well for me I was at home since.
2: Why was that? Why did
3: you all go to different places? Mm, basically because we, we cut the first part of the season in different moments and the team is pretty good with us like who has family and want to stay with the family or want to stay home like me they said like no problem especially me and Conor, we are old enough to, to know how to do at home and uh, that was really good for me I really charged my battery before coming here for this month of uh, uh, of active racing so that was really good uh, mentally we're all fresh we we tried to set up something good at the first stage and we were up there but then Arnaud broke his, uh, his cleat you know in, uh, in a climb uh, with a crash where a Ballerini was involved physically we're there today for sure it's going to be messy it's not going to be the the easiest day to organize the little because everybody's fresh everybody wants to be there but we don't care. We Even if we suck as lead out any win, we are totally happy. And just finally on yourself,
2: uh, Jacopo, uh, you had some low moments, I think, at the end of last year. Just personally, talk to me a bit about how you've picked yourself up this year and, and your hopes personally from the Giro. As you said, it was really lo- rough last year. I had uh, in two races.
3: I got two DNF, but those two races were two De France and welta So it was pretty tough but you know i use this uh, negativity this disappointment as a, as a, as a energy i really rest i really uh disconnect my my brain from cycling for a month during october and then i restarted and uh, this winter i was really really happy you know when you enjoy doing the bike even if i had some uh, minor like let's say accident like yeah something e- even easy like i had to spend a week at home instead of going to some warmer places to do this huge load of trainings and i did it at home and it was like i think the average was four degrees but i was enjoying it because you know i'm getting old and all, i'm not gonna have uh, so many years to come so i try to enjoy as much as i can what i what i got and i was really motivated because uh, i really trust you know i really trust what i can what I can do, and also my teammates. So I felt like uh, with uh, with a lot of energy during the winter, and when everything goes well, that's nice. But uh, if you had uh, some uh, step backs, then it can happen. Yeah, you have to use for uh, as an energy, as a boost for uh, next season.
2: You know that old. There's a bit of life left in the old dog.
3: Yeah, you know uh, it's. Uh, well, we have here, we are a person. You know, after all, so uh, in life, I think it, cycling is good because more or less you always had another chance, you know, in life sometimes it doesn't happen, so we can feel blessed by this, use this as a lesson also for the future, or for our life.
2: Well, Lionel, of course, Guarnieri, Jacopo Guarnieri, I wouldn't say he's been in the headlines, but it hasn't gone unnoticed in this Giro that, well, we're starting in Hungary, we've got a kilometre zero coming out, uh, with, I think it's going to come out tomorrow about, um, which we'll certainly touch on, the politics of this Grande Partenza in Hungary, and, well, the... the Hungarian government's position on on gay rights transgender rights and so on and so forth um, Guarnieri here is sporting a transgender rights a trans- transgender pride bracelet I asked to speak to him this morning about that, I was told no he would not speak about it in Hungary, however tomorrow we are due to have a conversation about it. Off the record I spoke briefly to Jakobor today about that issue and he sort of indicated to me that he's got some very forthright opinions that we will hopefully be sharing in the next few hours.
1: Interesting, yes. Uh, We will touch on the politics of Hungary in that episode of Kilometre Zero, which will be out as we're flying from Hungary to Sicily tomorrow. Fernando Gaviria, third place today, just going back to the sprint. um, Close, but no cigar. Binyam Gamay, I thought, you know, he would do better on the flatter finishes, but perhaps not. I mean, he looks so good on stage one and he got into a very good position but didn't have uh, anything to kind of close the door on Cavendish did Do you he? know
2: what this has been mentioned a few times in the last couple of days again after what he did in the classics earlier in the year how good he is how adept he is in uh, positioning he's fantastic uh, often without too much help he's just he's kind of like a tadpole who just who just swings and sways through the peloton and finds his way um, to the front or to where he needs to be in fact Mathieu van der Poel mentioned this the other day On the, uh, after the first stage that he knew if he followed Gamay he would end up more or less in the right position and sure enough he did.
1: And Caleb Ewan, who was another of the favourites this morning and in ordinary circumstances you would have thought he would be right up there, shoulder to shoulder with Cavendish but only 8th place for Ewan. But of course he had that crash on stage 1, sporting a bit of bandaging on his left leg... This morning at the start, I spoke to Cherry Pridham, who is the sports director for Lotto Soudal, Ewan's team, and this is her first grand tour in the team car. She's been a sports director at Israel Startup Nation prior to this, and was a very accomplished rider in her own right. She rode the Giro d'Italia Femminile, the Giro Rosa, by its other name, when she was a rider. She began her career in sports directing with a friend of mine called Simon Barnes. She worked as a sports director for a team that simon barnes ran in the uk and she's worked through the ranks and now is in a team car directing at the giro d'italia her first grand tour and i spoke to her this morning about how the opening couple of days have gone well you can never be a hundred percent certain how a stage is going to turn out in the giro but it does look like a sprint today
6: fingers crossed obviously disappointed but i think caleb showed yesterday that he's uh Recovered well from the from the crash he had. We've put that behind us, and today's a new day, and, and hopefully uh, lacks on the side.
1: Do you know a bit more exactly what happened with that crash on stage one?
6: No, look, I mean, Caleb's committed. You know what he's like. Unfortunately, he touched a wheel in front. Yeah, came down. You know, it's uh, it happens.
1: It does happen. I mean, he was he was riding in a very similar way to the way he rode on the Poggio a couple of years ago, didn't he? I mean, he got right up at the front, being hypercritical here, but he almost hit the front a little bit too early, perhaps.
6: Yeah, I mean, it's all about timing, and I think uh, we've learned a lot from that sprint. He'd take a lot away from that. He'll talk to his boys. We talk together as a group. We improve on that for next time.
1: And in terms of the injuries, I mean, he had a bit of strapping on his leg, but... Only superficial damage, really?
6: Absolutely, yeah. Thankfully, nothing broken, of course. Wounds, obviously, patched up. We put him through uh, a good TT pro- process yesterday. He wanted to push, just to make sure everything was in good shape, and uh, he came out of that well.
1: And uh, lastly, in terms of the rest of the team, who was the rider who went down with around six and a half k to go? The TV commentary said Kluger, but I thought it was Van Hooker from looking yes, at the result.
6: Yeah, it was. It was unfortunately it was Haram Van Hook, a young climber, just again wrong place, wrong time, and and unfortunately crashed. Yeah.
1: But in terms of today, that means that Roger Kluger can play his full part in the uh, you know the lead out effort and, and getting Caleb into the position that he needs to be in.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Roger's right there. Caleb's right hand man, and uh, yeah, we have a strong a strong lead out team.
1: And just lastly, who do you think are the, the other sort of premier division sprinters here in this Giro? Oh,
6: I think for sure, uh, Quicksep uh, will certainly be keeping an eye on them. And no doubt they'll be keeping an eye on us. And
1: Cavendish versus Caleb, I think, maybe <laughs> at the finish here.
6: Oh, let's, let's hope so. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's never that straight, as, as easy, straightforward as we as we uh, sometimes think it is, watching from the sofa. And uh, there's a lot of preparation and planning that goes into a, uh, into a sprint day in legs as they say.
1: And your Grand Tour because it's your first one with the Lotto Soudal team. Uh, you talk about watching the Grand Tours from the sofa but how's it been from the team car?
6: This year I've had a real super race program so you know the I guess the anxiousness and the and the and the, the big league, the Will Tour is uh, is just another race but obviously this is my first Grand Tour. First day was a, uh was a little bit I won't say overwhelming but uh, you know you have to take in take it all in and then get on with the job at the end of the day you know.
1: I mean what's it like delivering those uh, team meetings and a Grand Tour it's another level up you must pick up the kind of anticipation and nervousness in the riders As uh, you know it's just another level when you get to the start of a Grand Tour
6: I think the key to delivering a good presentation and tactic strategy is just to be yourself to deliver a, a good plan that the boys understand it's clear so they know the job that they have to do uh, and we don't change that from whether it's the Giro or Paris Nice. You know, we keep the same calm calmness and precision.
1: Well, good luck today.
6: Thank you.
0: The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science and Sport. Science and Sport, fueled by science.
1: Thank you very much to Science and Sport for supporting the Cycling Podcast. They've been with us since the Giro d'Italia in 2016 when uh, we all went to Dawn, didn't we, Daniel? And then had a couple of additional days in the Netherlands before Richard and I flew to Catanzaro. L- I can't remember the name of the airport. Um, La Lamezia Terme. La Mezzia Terme, that's it, yes. And uh, Science in Sport basically enabled us to cover that Giro in full for the first time. And, well, we've been able to cover the Giro every year since, so we're incredibly grateful to Science in Sport for their support. And in return, Science in Sport offers all Cycling Podcast listeners the chance to get 25% off with the code SISCP25. Daniel, well, this morning at the start, or it was approaching lunchtime, actually, at the start, uh, as my glucose levels were dipping, um, I went down to the team buses and I saw Matt White, the sports director. Hungarian
2: pizza, wasn't it?
1: It was. We did have a nice Hungarian pizza. It oh, I didn't good. say it
2: was nice. I well, was it was we had a Hungarian it pizza. It was. It was. It was oh. I mean, yeah, it, it was five out of ten.
1: Five out of ten Which is, is that a all? good
2: mark from for me.
1: <laughs> that is actually a good mark for you. Seeing your default mark is sort of two out of ten <laughs> yes. for anything. Uh, Anyway, I went down to the team buses and I saw Matt White from Team Bike Exchange just to get a bit of a debrief on yesterday's stage win for Simon Yates and how they're going to play it over the coming days because, of course, it's a long Giro, Mount Etna is looming, the race will resume with the stage to Etna on Tuesday and, of course, all being equal, if Simon Yates just rides to par, he will kind of assume the pink jersey, but you know, this is a Giro, anything could happen. I wanted to get a bit of a steer on how Matt White felt the opening weekend here in Hungary had gone.
5: It was a, a very impressive ride by Simon, and, but the the people behind that, it, it was a, a big team effort, and that, like his preparation, uh, a lot of this started uh, at the back end of last year, and, uh, you know, we saw a glimpse, you know, the, the, the Paris Nice time trial that he did was very, very impressive, and only beaten by some of the best time trialers in the world. Some of the best guys weren't there yesterday, but, yeah, he did beat some very, very impressive Riders yesterday, but it's, it's a very nice victory to win uh, Giro TT.
1: We were looking at it thinking, well, it's the perfect result. Win the stage, put time into everyone, even if it's only a few seconds at this stage, but not take the pink jersey and have to defend it today, which, I mean, you just never know. This stage is always tricky. Is that how you looked at it?
5: We certainly know what's coming. I think even if we had the pink jersey today, today's a pretty uncomplicated day for the sprinters. I'm expecting fireworks on Tuesday because people know that... You know, Albacena are not going to be interested in defending the jersey because that's too hard a climb for Matthew. And even though you can throw still a blanket over all the GC guys, so there'll be the opportunity to win the stage, the first mountain stage of the race. But also no one wants to control those, those days so early. You know, everyone knows what's coming. Everyone knows how heavy the back end of every Giro is. I, I don't remember in modern history someone taking the jersey in, early in the Giro and holding on we're talking you know, Buño did it i think in in 91 a long long time ago one from start to finish but in the modern era i don't remember anyone taking the jersey very early and keeping it to the end so and why because the giro is so brutal and you know, trying to keep that jersey through the first and the second week it has a it has an effect on the last week
1: so does that mean you might have to just be a little bit patient on tuesday and not just assume the role of the kind of the the, the de facto leader's team and and not get sucked into trying to control where you don't need to. You wouldn't get too concerned if a dangerous-looking break went up the road simply because the Giro is so long and, and there's so much to come at the
5: end. 100%. We're playing, we're here for the long game and we, we want to wear the pink jersey in Verona, not Catania. Even if something was to go up the road tomorrow, it's, no, uh, it's not a travesty if, if a break wins tomorrow. So we've got, we know the resources we've got inside the team and, we, and we've got to save them. I think that a lot of the key teams will probably be marking each other out on Tuesday. Then you'll have a bit of a Mexican standoff there to see see if someone does miss out, will they take control? Or is a a team with a GC favourite really got confidence in their leader that they want to get a stage win early?
1: Just looking at the route, I mean, we were saying in our preview episode, you know, the first week is almost like a tough stage race in itself. And then there's this sort of lull, isn't there? I mean, there's some stages that are dangerous towards the end of this first week before we even get to Blockhouse, for example.
5: Yeah, stage seven. Stage seven, uh, I had a good look at it in March. And it's an area of Italy where we usually stay on the coast. We do stay on the coast for the first 50k of the stage. And then when we turn inland, it's a brutal stage. And in an area of Italy, I don't know... Very much about it. We don't usually go in there. I think it's four and a half thousand meters climbing, and most of that is in the last 150k of the stage. And it's a weird one because the, the toughest climbs are like 70k from the finish. But you know, you, you've got climbs there, uncategorized climbs that are, would be a cat one anywhere in the world. And they're the days that, well, I, I can tell you what's going to happen now. It'll be, there'll be guys, your Demarchies, your Thomas de DeGentz, your, Blo- your Bock Mollimers, the guys who are at three to four minutes on GC looking to take the uh, the pink jersey. Because it's another stage that now I'm sure any else don't want to sit on the front for for four hours, nor do we, nor do Bahrain, and that's it is a day for those opportunities guys, not the, the guys who sit in that second rank of climbers who have just lost a little bit of time, and they they will they will know that's an opportunity to uh, to take the Mali Rosa for a period.
1: Tell me about this young man behind you in the white jersey, Sobrero. Impressive ride yesterday. He's obviously the Italian time trial champion. What else can you tell me about him?
5: Well, he's fitting into the team really well. Fitting into the team really well. He's. Uh, he uh, speaks perfect English. He he um, was on the Quebec uh, development team, so he was with them, turned professional with them, and then with the team Fold, he spent a year at Astana, and now he's with us. He's still develop, he's still a young guy, still developing. I don't know where, where his limitations are. Obviously, a brilliant individual and team's time trailer. but I think in the long run, I think we can turn him into a GC guy. Maybe not for the three week races, but for the one week races, we'll use him in a role across the sort of medium mountain stages. I, I don't think he's a guy for the for the high mountains. But he'll play an important role in supporting Simon over the three weeks in those medium sort of mountain stages. But uh, impressive ride, obviously very motivated. He's, uh, I think, it's his second Giro to be Italian Giro and to put in a performance like that. No, he was, he was led last night.
2: I know, like, you didn't apologise to Matt White on my behalf. Uh, there was a, we need to pay a, a quick visit to Corrections Corner. I said that last year, Bike Exchange were riding Scott bikes. In fact, they bike exchanged from. Bianchi to Giant, didn't they this year?
1: They did. I should have picked that up. I kind of half heard it as you were saying it last night, and I, I, I you know, I, I let that one go past me. But I mean, you know, you disrespect all of these, you know, storied, grand Italian brands, don't you? I mean, you have no respect for Italian culture.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I got some interesting email, or no, not, not emails. Got an interesting message from a, a loyal listener about the. We, the equipment that Bike Exchange were running yesterday, the cockpit in particular, the which is manufactured, or there was a handlebar manufactured by a small Australian uh, manufacturer called Sync, I think, and Mateo Sobrero was certainly using that yesterday. Um, so we, well, we, did, we did flag up the fact that they've been very happy with their equipment this year, so we weren't wrong on every count.
1: Indeed, no.
2: We usually get well, some things yeah. vaguely right
1: tomorrow morning we'll fly from here in Hungary to Sicily I mean in true Giro fashion the logistics for this are slightly opaque at the moment I don't really know what time we're leaving how we're getting to the airfield or what sort of plane we'll be on or what time it departs or when we'll be arriving then we'll have approximately half a day at the car hire place in Catania Airport trying to get hold of our car for the rest of the Giro. Uh, It could be quite a trying day tomorrow. And then we'll
2: spend the rest of the day trying to spike your glucose levels.
1: Exactly, yes. And then the race will resume on Tuesday with the stage to Mount Etna. Now, the race hadn't been to Etna for a long, long time. I think it was like 1989 when Acacio da Silva, the Portuguese rider, won there. And then there was a big gap. But in recent years, it's been back... More times than it's not, hasn't
2: it? It's been back several times, always slightly different iterations of that final climb. And in fact, the day after tomorrow, we're going to have a different configuration. We're going to have the first half really from Ragalna. The second half of the climb will be the Nicolosi side, which was the side on which Alberto Contador went in 2011. That's the last 14 kilometers are that version of the climb of the etna climb lionel remember when we had nervous napalm a few years ago when mm. we were in etna and among many other things
1: well that's because you told me that the mafia were camping out in every <laughs> little <laughs> and hump and hillo and hollock and whatever on the sicilian countryside you
2: were trembling as well at the prospect of imminent eruptions i've um, got good news for you etna hasn't erupted since february that perfect february the 21st <laughs> i think was the last significant absolutely eruption of perfect etna um, we've been up there a few times, haven't we? Not necessarily my favourite place. Last time I went up there on the Jira, I cracked my laptop screen. Oh. Um, so I bet that was a bit of a sore memory. Do you know who does love it up there? Loves it up there? Um, Guillaume Martin. Guillaume Martin, the French climber, who, well, he has made no bones about the fact that he is going for general classification at this Giro d'Italia it hasn't started that well for him has it because we've well, we've already mentioned this he lost time on the first stage he lost more time as he usually does in time trials yesterday he's 42nd overall 1 minute and 4 seconds down on general classification. However, Guillaume Martin spoke to me this morning about his love affair with Sicily and Etna in particular.
3: c'était surtout les mais pas très My dad mainly
2: used to tell me stories about Anquetil, but copy was the era just before that. I think there was some link between Copis masseur, and Antio. That certainly stuck in my head. I wouldn't say I'm an absolute expert, but I know some of the stories. As for Sicily, I've been there several times, specifically at the Rifugio Sapienza on Etna. I think I've done four training camps up there in total. I think the first time was in 2018, and I've been back almost every year. I really love it up there. The landscape, the food, the Sicilian way of life. I also have good memories because I won a stage of the tour of Sicily on Etna on the same finish that we'll do in two days. So there are good reasons for me to really like Sicily. I know some people aren't wild about the south of Italy, but I liked it straight away. I love the anarchical side of it. There aren't too many rules, particularly on the roads. You don't see many giveaways or red lights, and yet there don't seem to be many accidents or traffic jams. It's a kind of communal organisation, anarchy almost as a means of governance. If I had to describe Etna to someone who's never been there, I'd talk about the contrast. Around the bottom there are a lot of things growing, orchards, cacti, prickly pears, orange groves, vineyards and so on. And then you get to the top and there's absolutely nothing. It's like the Vontu. At the summit it's just lava, no noise, no birds and no vegetation.
3: Just la lave et um, y a pas pas un bruit, pas un oiseau, pas un végétal. Donc c'est le contraste vraiment qui est impressionnant.
2: Well, I thought that Guillaume Martín might be following me to Corrections Corner because I was a bit dubious about this story about Biagio Cavanna, which was um, who was faster copies massa and Jacques Onctil. But apparently it's true. Uh, Biagio Cavanna did treat this did. Did massage um, Jacques Anquetil? Apparently, he advised him to go easy on the champagne. Advice that Jacques Anquetil ignored. Wow!
1: During the races, of course, or during you know, the, during well, during the stages life. and after the stages. And, well, I don't know. Maybe even before the stages. I mean, fueling was very different back then. What would that have done to his glucose levels? I'm not going to keep mentioning glucose levels. I promise. Well. We've heard from James Knox this evening, our audio diarist. We've heard from Pavel Sivakov a couple of nights ago. Um, they're off and running. But what about Ben Zwiehoff of bora Hansgrohe? I mean, we've not had a dispatch from
2: him yet. What's he up to? Listen, Lionel, don't hassle the Hoff. Here is <laughs> Ben, who sent him his first dispatch this evening.
7: Hey, guys. My name is Ben Zvihoff from bora Hansgrohe. I'm currently doing the Giro d'Italia, my second Grand Tour after last year's Vuelta. Actually, I'm already 28, but it's just my second season as a road cyclist. I was used to be a professional mountain biker before, and last year was my first year as a professional road cyclist. I did my first Grand Tour in last year's Vuelta and enjoyed it pretty much. From that, I think I could make a quite huge step from there to now, and yeah, I'm really happy to be in the this year's Giro with a strong Bora Hansgrohe GC team. Today is the last day here in Hungary. It was actually kind of a nice start into this journey because the Hungarian people were really, really friendly, but also crowdly. They went mad at yeah, almost every point of the race and this was nice to see that the atmosphere is so so nice tomorrow it's already time to leave we uh, will catch up a flight a charter flight tomorrow in the morning to sicily which is organized by ses so we had to give away our suitcases now already uh, we only have the hand luggage with us Yeah, we will leave tomorrow at 7.30 from the hotel to a small, I think it's also a military airport, where we start our journey to Sicily. It will take us probably one and a half, two hours flight and then already for lunch we will be there to enjoy a little bit of rest day. For us, I think the Giro will yeah really start on Tuesday with the first climbing day. And I think we we are more than ready for that. And yeah, we had quite a nice time here in Hungary with the team. Already some really, really good performances by especially Vilko and Leonard. Yeah, that's nice to see. Now we are looking forward to the first days in Italy.
2: Well, Lionel, the piano music is still playing. The piazza, uh, it doesn't really feel deserving of the term piazza it's more a car park doesn't it outside the hofpoi house in Hivitz, um, has become quite deserted in the last hour darkness has fallen upon lake balaton which we can't see from here but it's only a couple of kilometers away isn't it the western edge of lake balaton we've seen the team vehicles bowl into town roll into town and well among those vehicles was the quick step alpha vinyl vehicle um, i didn't know that mark cavendish's coach Vasilis. Antostopoulos, was actually here on the race. I've been trying to contact him by telephone and he was in the team bus, probably with no telephone reception, but he's finally returned my call. And here is Vasi, Vasilis this evening talking about Mark Cavendish's stage win at the Giro today and what it means for the rest of his race, maybe the rest of his career. So Vassilis, I guess today wasn't a surprise for you.
8: Yeah, to be honest, I was expecting it because uh, Mark arrived here in really, really good form. But, you know, always you have to see what's going on in a race because many, many things can go wrong. But uh, I think he showed today that he's one of the fastest ones in the race. So that was a really good start, really great start.
2: So, Vasi the camp in, in Greece in the last couple of yeah. weeks... How similar was yeah. it to this camp that he did last year that was... I mean, we've spoken about it before. It was so key in everything that happened last year. Was it? Did you try to replicate exactly the same training?
8: No, no, no. Because now the demands were different. Don't forget that last week we were not preparing for the Tour de France. We were preparing for some other races. Now the variation was for the Giro. Who still did some track training but uh, we did a lot of long rides with really high climbs so he will be just to be ready you know to be fast but also to have the endurance the stamina to to last for those three weeks it was slightly different last year but the basic idea is it's almost the same i would say
2: so the idea is that he he goes all the way to verona here
8: yes 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 that's the idea yes yes
2: yes yes and Vassi, you and I have spoken a few times before about numbers and, you know, how he compares to other years. How how has he been in the last few weeks, numbers-wise?
8: Really good. (laughs) That's what I can say. Really good. So his numbers are similar uh, to last year's uh, to the France wins. I would say it even a little bit better. So I'm really really satisfied with how things have gone. And I think, you know, today he starts sprinting last uh, 300 metres. So his sprint was around... uh, 18 seconds, even though I haven't seen the file yet. He was alone in the wink. Nobody could pass him, even the, the the other guys tried to. So I think form-wise is where we just want him to be.
2: V- Vassi, after the tour last year, I was a bit worried that he... Well, it would it was going to be difficult to... It was obviously going to be difficult to repeat anything as spectacular. People might have expected his motivation to to fall slightly. And I think maybe in the few weeks after the tour last year, he even wondered whether he could get as motivated again. But do you think he has He has managed to do that?
8: Yeah, for sure. Don't forget that last year he won, at the end of the season, he won a big one-day race in, uh, in Germany. Yeah. Uh, which was a really hard one, not an easy one. And this year, he had uh, a really bad accident. had a problem with his broken ribs. Also, he was... You know, he was hit at home with a robbery and everything. And uh, he already won a stage in Oman and then Nuae. Uh, so he already saw that his, his uh, determination, his uh, willing to work hard was still there. He didn't win in Tirreno because he was sick, but then immediately he won Milano-Torino. And uh, of course, this win today shows that he's, he's a big champion and he's uh, as motivated as ever to continue winning. Because that's what he loves doing, winning races. I think that, that says all.
2: Yeah, and he's, he's not going to stop anytime soon, is he? I mean, it sounds to me as though he's looking way beyond the end of the year. I, I know you, you probably don't want... He, he doesn't want to commit, and you probably won't want to either, but, you know, he, he's a long way from from winding down by the looks of things. Would you
8: stop if you had this condition right now? <laughs> I, don't, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't know what Cavendish is going to do, what Mark is going to
1: do, but I wouldn't. That's for sure. Well, that was Mark Cavendish's coach, and... Well, we can hear there the reason that I'm podcasting about the Giro d'Italia and not deciding the strategy for the riders well, because s- the impression there is that Mark Cavendish will go all the way to Verona. I mean, I, you know,
2: we'll see, won't we? We'll see what happens. But uh, a lot of good airports. Near stage finishes um, <laughs> after you Reggio Emilia. There's all, sorts of, there's all sorts of choices. Straight out of Bologna, surely. Bologna, you've got Genoa, you've got Torino, you've got two airports in Milan.
1: Yeah, well I was calling it the Giro di Calcio, but maybe it's the Giro di Aeropuerto.
2: Spanish, but close. <laughs> <laughs> what is what is it in Italian? Aero, aeroporto.
1: Aeroporto. Oh, okay. Okay. So I got the final syllable incorrect. Well, talking of airports, Daniel, that takes me back to 2018 when the Dura d'Italia's Grande Partenza was in Israel. And Richard and I got separate flights to Tel Aviv that arrived at exactly the same time, basically. To
2: uh, Catania again, wasn't it? Oh, no, you flew no, from Israel?
1: From the UK to Israel Sorry. for the start. And we arrived at roughly the same time. And I could see him just ahead of me at kind of passport control. And we caught up at baggage reclaim. And we had a very enjoyable weekend in Israel, uh, learning about the country and, you know, just exploring. We went into, you know, the ancient city of Jerusalem. You know, a really. Uh, entertaining and interesting experience. I remember when we got to Israel, we were staying in a hotel somewhere outside Jerusalem. Well, this is the Giro di Buffalo, our memories of traveling with Richard Moore at the Giro d'Italia. This is from Israel in 2018.
0: Il Giro del Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore.
1: It took me a couple of mouthfuls to really get into it, but then once I got going... But by your second plate, yeah, you I mean, were really a, enjoying it. A, a bit like pedalling a big gear. The first couple of revs were tricky, but then once I was up to speed, I was racing through my We dish. should
9: mention the, the meal we had the night before. Showing a shocking lack of imagination, we actually ate in the same place two nights in a row.
1: Well, there was a good reason for that, there really, was, wasn't yeah. there? Struggled to find anywhere that was open last night, uh, so we were in an American uh, restaurant, hotel restaurant, weren't we?
9: Yeah, and it was, but it was very nice and we had local food there and local wine which was mm. very nice as well. Uh, yeah. And thanks very much to friends of the podcast if well, you've been signing this, up because uh, y- I not actually worked out the exchange rate mm. at the point where mm. I ordered the wine. The, the wine that was recommended to me. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, part of travelling to other countries is, you know, getting to grips with uh, a little bit of the...
9: But there's that beautiful moment where you d- you haven't got to grips with the exchange rate and it's not like real money. It's, it's like yeah, monopoly Yeah, but then money. when we
1: did the sums, we, we worked out that, that was... That was quite an eye-watering bottle of wine. It was very nice.
9: But... if you'd like to sign up as a friend <laughs> of the podcast. Or oh, that might be the last bottle of wine of the Giro.
1: <laughs> I love that, the way Richard kind of cut across me and talked about how there's that wonderful sweet spot when you haven't worked out what the exchange rate is. And I think we had a little bit of that here in Hungary when I tried to pay about £40 for a £4 taxi ride. And had it not been for the honesty of the taxi driver, I would have uh, lost out there. Um, But there is. When you go on holiday to somewhere that doesn't have a familiar currency, it's part of that adjustment process. You're changing the gears down. I'm, I'm not saying we're on holiday, I would stress here. But whenever you travel somewhere where you're picking up the customs and you're learning about the language and the currency, it's an enjoyable experience, isn't it? And we had a great weekend there in Israel. I remember that very fondly.
2: Do you know what is very familiar after four or five days in Hungary? uh, Hungarian restaurant menus, which is not to say we're bored of them at all. I think it's time for one last goulash, Lionel. And who knows? I didn't look closely at the menu um, when it appeared 10 or 15 minutes ago. But I I don't know. Is there going to be a Tultot?
1: No, this is extremely German, this restaurant. So you should feel right at home. Although you're not a big fan of the, the sort of German sausage and sauerkraut, are you? I am. So I shall look forward to dinner this evening.
2: Guten Appetit.
1: <laughs> Up early tomorrow. The cabbage hunt has been successful. Um, the sauerkraut hunt. Uh, well, we'll see how that turns out in a few minutes time and we're off to sicily tomorrow where actually daniel you leave us now because we'll be joined by daniele fribroncini when we touch down on italian soil on tuesday in the meantime there'll be kilometer zero wrapping up our weekend from hungary and and uh, covering our couple of days in budapest and our trip into the countryside here and so all that leaves is for me to say thank you very much daniel
2: thank you
9: The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Burner.